But it's good to be here this morning, and uh, my wife sent her greeting, and Carmen sends her greeting also. I had a, a joyous time with uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes yesterday, and what a privilege to come to Laramie and see people who love the Lord Jesus Christ in these difficult times in our world. Uh, God has his saints staying faithful to the stuff, so it's a joy to, to be here in a place where God's word is honored and God's people loves him. But this morning, as I was thinking, as I travel and as I was praying, what would I share here? There's a, a book in the Bible that I can't get away from. And if you have the word of God, turn with me to Philippians. Uh, it's a book that at least has been burning in my heart for about a year and a half now. And I find myself often going back to this, this book and, and gleaning some things that I think that I must apply in my own life and share with the, uh, the church of Jesus Christ. These are some principles that we learn from a man who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we learn from a church who loved him, a church that God had planted in very difficult times. And then Paul is going to share with this church who's concerned about him. He's going to share with them four things that are essential for a Christian to be faithful in difficult times. There are four principles, I think, from this book that is essential if you are going to serve God faithfully. And then there's one principle that you need to get a hold of if you're going to be converted. And I think in the first chapter, there's one principle. If you don't believe this principle, then you can assure that you're not in the kingdom. And then we who have come to believe that one, then these other three principles are things that we have to apply in our lives. So in Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to use for a, a text this morning... In verse 12, if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, the word of God reads, But I would, I would ye understand, brethren, that the things that have happened unto me have fallen out for, rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bounds in Christ are manifest in all places and in all other palaces. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed pr preach Christ even for envy and strife, and some also for goodwill. The one preached Christ for contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn for my salvation through your prayers in the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, I want, uh, verse 12 again. But I would you to understand, brethren, that the things that have happened unto me have fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. The faithful Christian or the faithful saint is concerned about one thing. The furtherance of the gospel. The faithful church of Jesus Christ is concerned about one thing. The furtherance of the gospel. And the Lord Jesus Christ was concerned about that because he commissioned his disciples. Go ye and preach the gospel to all nations. Why? Because the, sh the spreading of the gospel is the passion of God's heart. In every saint, that becomes their passion. You can tell a person who loved Jesus Christ, who's been saved, they have a love for souls. And they're not complacent. They're not ashamed. They are 
fearfully, joyfully, faithfully sharing their life. Not so much verbally, but their life speak. They change their conduct. They change the things they do. They, they, they want to be around with people that love Jesus Christ. They're not afraid to go to Bible studies. They want to learn how to pray. There's something that have happened. They're like new creatures. <laughs> Why? Like newborn babies. They desire the sincere milk of the word. And they want others to know this Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing to them. And before we look at the passage together, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we come to your word this morning, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we know that you long to speak to your people. You are speaking, God. And we would say this morning that you would speak, Lord, in the stillness while we wait on thee. I pray that you would, by your spirit, cause us to see clearly and by your grace, obey intelligently all that you say to us this morning for the glory of your son. Speak, Lord. Thy servant listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's writing. And this church is concerned about him. And he's telling them that his circumstance have happened, that it, the gospel now is being spread even more. People who are in difficult places are now more bold to speak Christ. And he wanted them to know that God's circumstance in his life have not hindered him at all. He may not be in the pulpit, if you will, preaching, but he's in, in, God have given him a pulpit in prison. <laughs> See, it's not where you are that determine the message. It's who you are with the message. Paul is in prison, but he's in prison with a message. And the messenger is in him, and he's taking the opportunity to further the gospel. And people are hearing how he's responding there, and they're becoming bold to speak Christ. You know, when Christianity or when Christ becomes real to you, you affect other people just by being around them. They're affected. They, they may not know what in your life affect them, but they're going to ask you. Why? Because there's something different about you. I remember when I got converted and went back home. As everybody here knows, I came from a small family in Louisiana, uh, 11 boys and three girls. It's all in the gumbo. <laughs> but when I, I, I was converted and I went back home in my first year time back home after the football season, I came home and, and I usually give gifts to my my siblings for Christmas, and, and that year, I told Cheryl that uh, I was going to give all of them a Bible, so I, I, I got this nice burgundy Bible, just like this, but it was thicker, big, big Bible with all the four spiritual laws in there, and I just wrote in the front of the Bible uh, how I got saved and everything like that, and I gave all of them a Bible, and they thought I had lost my mind. <laughs> I just wanted, and I thought they were going to be excited. Well, they was like, what has happened to him? Well, I just wanted my family to know Christ. Now, I went over the hill. Uh, I probably wouldn't do it that way now, but I was a child in Christ who wanted my siblings to know Christ. And God has saved some of them. Why? Because when you are a newborn babe, you desire the sincere milk of the word, and you want others to know it. So Paul is in prison, and, and the first thing he's going to share with them in prison, here's his first perspective. Christ was his life. In his human circumstance. Look what he says in verse chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says, I'm in this difficult circumstance, but I want you to know, for to me, to live is Christ. Now he could be killed, 
And the, the Philippian was worried. Paul may get his neck cut off. He said, but, but if I die, I gain. Why? Because Christ is my life in all human circumstance. Let me say this. This is the first step to assure your heart that you're a Christian. How do you assure it? Answer this question in your mind this morning. If someone would ask you, for you to live blank, what would you say? Some people might say, for me to live is football. That's what Wallace Francis would have said one day. For me to live is football. For me, some people say, to live is to make money. Some people, for me to live is to have fun and pleasure. But the Christian says, for me to live is Christ. Now, some may say here this morning, for me to live, well, Christianity is, is important in my life. Some may say, well, Christianity is very important in my life. But all that's religion. The Christian would say, Christ is my life. See, so that's how you separate religion from relationship. People would say Christ is important, very important. But the Christian doesn't say Christ is important. The Christian say Christ is my life. Because Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Would you answer that question if someone would ask you? For you to live is what? It's Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ came that we might have life. Now, forgiveness comes through Christ, but God doesn't offer forgiveness. He's offered life. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So Christianity is a life. And Paul says in his circumstance, he had come to know that Christ was his life in all human circumstances. Brothers and sisters, as you well know, we don't choose the path that we find ourselves on in life. We just chose to follow the shepherd. And he'll lead in a path of righteousness for his namesake. If it's through the valley, he's with you in the valley. If it's on the mountaintop, he's with you. The circumstance is not the Christian's concern. It's Christ with him in the circumstance. And that's the lesson God teaches us in our lives. And I would say to you this morning, unless you can say, Christ is my life, you have no assurance from the scripture that you've been born again. Because Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins and to give us that which God valued. And what does God value? This is my beloved son, who I'm well pleased. And to as many as receive him, to them he give power to become sons of God. I speak to football teams, pros in high school and college teams, and all of them quote the verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I said, yes. You can, if you can say chapter 1, for to me to live is Christ. You don't get to chapter 4 until you rest in chapter 1. You can't do all things through Christ to strengthen you if Christ is not your life. Why? Because he doesn't come to make your life better. He come to give you what you don't have, life. Now, if you want Jesus Christ to make you a better football player, you can go to Buddha. Anybody. He doesn't come make better football. He doesn't make better athletes. He makes people born again. He makes new creations. And you may be a great football player. You may be a doctor, lawyer, whatever. But that is just icing on the cake. 
Many of them don't find my message very inspiring before a game after that. And I'm not trying to make it uninspiring. My point is I want them to realize Jesus Christ is not Santa Claus to make your life better. He come to give us what we don't have. There's many people today. I was talking to the youth yesterday. I said, this guy who changed the world, this iPhone, Steve Jobs, I think his name was, right? This man impacted everybody around the world lives. He impacted mine. I mean, church gave me an iPhone here, and I'm, I'm pretty good there now on Facebook and everything. But it's a wonderful tool to have. But Steve Jobs died. He influenced many people alive, but if he never experienced life, all he'd done was help people to live better in the prodigal's land. But he didn't get to the father's house if he never came to Christ. What am I saying? I'm saying Paul wanted these Philippians to know we have to have an eternal perspective in order to stand in the storms of life. It's 13 o'clock in America, as I've said many times even here. And what America needs is not a better president not a better performance. She needs to go back to the power that made her what she was, Jesus Christ himself. She needs to lay claim to the foundation of this book and stand with all boldness and humility of mind and say, here we stand and we can do no otherwise. We're not here to compromise. We're not here to negotiate. We're here to stand firm. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's what, her, that's what made America courageous and strong, she stood by the truth that those who came over for the sake of the gospel, that they might serve and worship God freely. What a privilege, what a foundation, what a heritage that we embrace. What a sad occasion if my grandchildren doesn't get the message clearly. I would have run the race wrongly. If my children don't get what I stand on, I stand on the shoulders of giants who love the Lord Jesus Christ, preach the message. And if I don't pass that on to my children and to my grandchildren, I have done them a great injustice. Oh, the worst thing we can do in this country now is to compromise this book. It's time now for saints to stand up and say, we're not circling the wagon. We're marching to Zion. And we're going to proclaim with a trumpet, with all humility of mind, that Jesus Christ is life. The church will march on. And so Paul was letting them know. And, and because of his, his stance, he says, people are inspired to proclaim Christ. When you find saints bold enough and humble enough to trust God in difficult circumstances, it inspires others to stand. But also, when you stand firm, it infuriates others <laughs> because your life condemned them. And Paul got stoned for standing firm. So it will inspire some. It will infuriate others. But it would give glory to God either way. <laughs> oh, the saints must, in all human circumstance, Christ is our life. Now notice, brothers, he's not trying to be our life. He is our life. And, and that's the joy that you and I can pass on to our young children, that Jesus Christ came that you might have life. You trust him with your life, and he will lead you in a path of righteousness for his name's sake, and I don't care what happened. I don't have to be here 50 years from now to know what's going to happen to my grandchildren should the Lord tarry. If they come to know Christ, I know what will happen to them. They'll give glory to God, and they'll see me one day in glory. 
That's what I'm assured of. How it takes place in their practical life, I don't know. But if they walk with a shepherd, they will glorify him and they'll see granddad one day. And I can leave him with that blessed assurance. Isn't that wonderful? To leave your family with a heritage like that. That this is the blessed assurance that you can get. Paul was so assured of that. And that's why he said in Philippians 1, he said, I want you to know, I'm being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you shall perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was confident of that. Whereas the second thing that I want us to see in this, in this book is in chapter 2. Not only was Paul a Christ, was Paul life in all human circumstance, but Christ must be our mind in all human relationships. Christ must be our mind in all human relationship. In chapter 2, verse 5, well, I'll start in verse, in verse uh, 1. Let me start in verse 1 of chapter 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy that be, ye be of like mind, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife of vain glory. But with lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant. And being made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The second thing, if you and I are going to further the gospel, we who are Christian, if we're going to further the gospel, Christ must be our mind in all human relationships. Let this mind, what was the mind of Christ? It was the secured mind. Being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The Lord Jesus Christ was clear in his identity with his Father. If you're going to have the mind of Christ in human relationship, you must not be insecure about who you are in Christ. Your identity in Christ secure you for the circumstance and relationship you have with others. Most people in the world today who are not Christian, well, all people in the world who are not Christian get their identity from something other than who they are. They get the identity because they're millionaires. They get the identity because they're celebrity. They get the idea for, because they're a movie star, they're a football player, a basketball player, or they're a drug addict. Come to, isn't this, isn't it, it's cruel. Some people selling drugs, they, they feel they're important because they're the big drug dealer in the, in the inner city. How crude, but that's their identity. And so men try to find identity in things that they do. God wants us to find an identity in who we are. We're creatures created for the glory of God, recreated in Christ, and therefore your security is not what you do. It's who you belong to. We told our children, you're Francis. My mom and dad taught me that. You're Francis. Get along with one another. You're 14. If not, we have a friend called Belt <laughs> who will help you get along. Why? Because you're family and you had nothing to do with it. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> that we're family. We're in Christ. Our identity is that we're creatures in Christ and we're one body in Christ. 
And so we to strive to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The world don't know anything about unity. They know about uniformity, but they don't know anything about unity. Unity with diversity is a beauty from God. <laughs> Behold how good and how pleasant for brothers to dwell together in unity. Why? Because they're not making a unity. God made the unity. And the beauty of the unity is a diversity of the creatures who are united in Christ. With the Falcons, we had, you look at this team, big guys, small guys, fast guys, slow guys, ugly guys, some nice-looking guys. But they're a whole bunch of different characters. But guess what? They had one thing in common. They wanted to win, and they were headed toward a goal. The church of Jesus Christ had one thing in common. She lives for the glory of God, and she lived for the furtherance of the gospel. That's her identity. Whatever give, her, whatever give God's glory, the saints want that. And whatever it takes to get the gospel, if it takes giving money, giving my time, whatever it takes to get this gospel, the saints are united in that. The mind of Christ, their identity is secured. And therefore, they don't feel inferior. David said, like, I'd rather be a doorkeeper of the Lord. If I'm an usher in the church, hallelujah. Pastor, elder, doesn't matter, choir member, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. In whatever position he gives us, we do it with all our hearts. Isn't that wonderful? That the saints are satisfied in serving their Lord, whatever position he placed them. The beauty of unity because of their security in their identity. Then there's another thing about this mind of Christ. It was a selfless mind. He made himself no reputation. The mind of Christ is not only a mind that's secured in his identity, but their, their reputation they don't seek. They only want the reputation of their master. <laughs> they just want to please the master. They want the glory of the master to be known. The name of the master. Why? Because his name is above every name. So they're not impressed with prestige of people, a position of people. They know no man after the flesh anymore. Why? Because they're satisfied with this man, Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, they have a selfless mind. They're not looking for a reputation. They're looking to be representative of the master who they represent. Isn't it wonderful that you and I, wherever we go, Paul is telling them, whatever, let the mind of Christ be in you. Serve your father wherever you are. That's what I'm doing in prison. I'm, I'm the servant of the Lord in prison. I'm here for Jesus' sake. The mind of Christ was a selfless mind. It was a servant mind. He says he made himself no reputation but took on a form of a, of a servant. Uh, the attitude, every time I think about that verse, the Lord of glory took on the attitude, the nature of a servant. The one who should be served got on his knees and served. The one whose feet should be washed, washed others' feet. The one who should be on the ground watching us on the cross was on the cross praying for us on the ground. What a servant. The mind of Christ was a mind that was concerned about others. Oh, Paul says, let that mind be in you, a, a bond servant, a mind that is a slave mind. 
what's the whole attitude of a slave or what's the whole purpose of a slave? A slave was purchased for the master's use only. The slave had no will, no mind, no purpose of his own. The slave served the master. That's why they buy slaves. Slaves do not have a right. They have a responsibility to serve the master. And that's why Paul can say to the Corinthians, you're not your own anymore. You've been what? Bought with a price. Isn't it wonderful to be the love slave of Jesus Christ? <laughs> love so amazing, so divine. <laughs> Demands my soul, my life, my all. That's the mind of Christ. A submissive mind, a mind that was obedient, even to the point of death, the death of a cross. The mind that was willing to go not only to wash the feet, but the mind that was willing to go to the cross right in all that he did, but except the wrong that others did. The mind of Christ. Why? The cup that my father gave me, shall I not drink it? That was his attitude. The cup. I, I, it, as I think on those things, it's like, this, 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 is, this, is, this is beyond human comprehension. <laughs> but God revealed this to us by his spirit. And it's, 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 it's securing, it's humbling, and it's satisfying. Why? Because no God died for their people other than our God. Our God died for us. Every other religion, you've got to do something to get the favor of that God. Our God died in the person of Jesus Christ on our behalf. What love is this? A sacrificial mind, a mind that was willing to go all the way to the cross. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ, if you and I are going to live and stay the course, Christ must be our mind in all human relationships. I was sharing with my young daughter, Carmen, I remember before she got converted, and she was a very sweet girl. We had no problem with Carmen, and she was telling me some things that was happening. I think she was in seventh grade. She was having with some of her friends at school and how they didn't obey the teacher and things like this and, and how she was irritated by them. I said, well, Carmen, it's bad that they do those things, but do you love them? Because God said we to love our enemies. We love people that do bad. She, her eyes got real big. I said, why? Because that's what you to do. I said, can you do that? No. I said, only God can change your heart to do that. It was that that God began to bring her to a place that is not being good, Carmen. It's being obedient. <laughs> and she came to rest her life in Christ. My point was, God was, had to show her that it's not just doing the outward. God wants you to do it with the right attitude. And only God can give you that attitude if you're willing to trust him with your heart. And she came through the Christ. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, because God has to use various things. It's a wonderful thing. Let me say this to young people, if I can do this. Young people, consider it a privilege to be born in a Christian family. It's a, high, it's, a, it's a glorious privilege to grow up. And your mom and your dad are Christian. They brought you to church. Or you, you go back and your grandparents were Christian. And your mom and dad. It's a, a wonderful legacy to have. Don't take it lightly. It's a great privilege. You can miss the hog pen if you follow a family legacy that followed Christ. But I don't want to depress us who didn't grow up in Christian family. God is not limited to your family. <laughs> he can save folks who didn't grow up in Christian family. Why? Because the gospel is for all, the whole world. 
But oftentimes our young kids think that, well, I don't have a good testimony. A good testimony is I, I don't know a time that I didn't trust Christ. Mom and dad told me about Christ when I was one year old, and I, I believed in Christ, and I, I believe in the day, and my experience is Christ is my shepherd. Wait, have you been out of the prodigal land? No, I just heard about it. I don't want to go out there. Why? I don't need this experience of, well, you know, I really went in sin. No, it's not what you do. It's what you are. See, man is not a sinner for what he did. Man is a sinner by what he is. He was born a rebel in his heart. And he has to be born again. And so I don't want our young people to think that they've got to go out there and get some kind of sparkling testimony. No such thing as a sparkling testimony. A sparkling testimony is to be born like Jesus, perfect. That's the sparkling testimony. Nobody has that testimony. So you could be born again by believing Christ at four years old, five years old. We have to say that because we have too many people talking about these great testimony by someone going out there living like a dog, and then all of a sudden he got converted. Excuse me, the expression. But I'm, I'm saying that because I was one of those persons who went out there, and I tell people right now, I got saved. But listen, I don't want you to go out there in a hog pen. I told that to my children. I've got all the trophies and the scars. Just believe what Dad said. Don't go out there. You don't need to go out there to find out if it's true. The Bible says it's true. I've got scars to prove it's true. Listen to the Bible. We have to encourage our young people that way today because the world have gone lost its mind. We've got men thinking that they're women just because they won the Olympics. Now they've changed their name to protect their de- deception. Excuse me, I had another message over there. But uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just I got... When I go on these rabbit trails, that happened, brother. <laughs> but that's another story. But Christ, and then the, the third thing that God was to Paul, God was Paul's passion, God, Paul's prize, and Paul's pursuit on his earthly pilgrimage. Look what he says in chapter 3. In chapter, chapter 3, he says, verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And look at verse, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I, I do. I forget those things which are behind. I'm reaching for those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The third thing Christ must be to you and I if we're going to further the gospel. Christ must be your passion, your prize, and your pursuit on your earthly pilgrimage. This is an earthly pilgrimage. We're marching marching to Zion. But Paul was not seeking something. He was seeking someone. I want to know him. His prize was not what he got. The prize was Christ himself. There's a hymn writer who says, my goal is God himself, not joy, not peace, not even blessing. Himself, my God, is his to take me there, not mine, but his, by any road, dear Lord, by any mean. So the prize of the Christian is Christ. His pursuit was Christ. His passion was Christ. I want to know him. And so in our earthly pilgrimage, don't be distracted by the Things in Vanity Fair. Pilgrim, Pilgrim Progress, and when Pilgrim and, and Faithful was going through Vanity Fair, you can get whatever you want in Vanity Fair. 
but they did not settle in Vanity Fair. There's a lot of things you can get in the world, but that's all you can get, that which the world offers. And if a man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so Paul was not consumed by Vanity Fair. His passion in this world, his prize in the world, and his, his whole pursuit was Jesus Christ himself. And everybody said, well, some of people say, well, you know, we can be so heavily minded, we're not any earthly good. Well, let me say this. Only the heavenly minded are any earthly good. Because everybody else have the mind of the world, and that won't lead to any good. The heavenly minded are earthly good. Why? Because they want God's kingdom done on earth as it is in heaven. We want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, they're praising God. They're glorifying God. So we want God's honor on earth in marriage, in families, in work, in play, in job. God be glorified. If we eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. The heavenly minded are only the ones that are earthly good because they're the salt of the earth. They're the light of the world. They're that which God left to shine for his glory. Last thing is, Paul was concerned about the people. Look what he says. That's why I believe the further of the gospel will change our hearts because look what Paul says in chapter 3, verse um, Well, where is that verse? It's still here. Oh, okay. Verse 15 of chapter 3. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if, any, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto you have already attained, let us walk with the same mind. And let us mind the same, same thing. Brethren, follow together of me and mark those which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they're the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. Let me say this. Paul's passion and pursuit was Christ, but his compassion was there were people that were enemies of the cross. The fathers of the gospel, that his heart passion was, I'm secured about where I'm going. I'm secured about who I, 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 I'm pursuing. But I have a concern that those who are enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. They're taken up with earthly things. His compassion for the loss. And he wanted them to see that, listen, while I'm in prison and you guys are concerned about me in prison, I appreciate that. But I want you to know I'm concerned about those who are in the prison of darkness who are enemies of the cross. And so he said, I, I, I said this even weeping. Let me say this. We cannot be satisfied with the darkness in America. George Whitfield said this. He was preaching to these coal miners. And these coal miners were hard men and wasn't responding to the message. And, and Whitfield was preaching and he would cry. And they would ask, Mr. Whitfield, why are you crying? He says, because if you can't weep for yourselves, I can't help but weep for you. And the story has it that these men, time later, Whitfield keep preaching. And was a while later, after some time passed, these hard 
coal mine men, real men, were coming, and then there was little streams, face full of sudden streams start coming down. The gospel broke their heart. Whitfield weep for them, and God's message broke their heart, and they began to weep for their sin. Oh, may God give us a heart broken for the lostness in our land. Broken by. Why? Because darkness is coming. Light has been here, and now he's going by. And our children may not have the privilege of freedom that you and I had. Oh, may we weep that God might revive us. Oh, Lord, revive us that thy people may glorify thee. In thy justice, Lord, have mercy upon America. In your justice, have mercy. And he can do that. And we don't only want to weep for a, a world that's in darkness. We have to weep, get on our knees and cry, not because we're not going to the kingdom, but those who don't know the king are not giving glory to the king. And Paul says, I tell you this, even weeping, broken because of his concern for others. And the last thing God was to Paul, he must be to us, is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Paul says this, for I can do all things through what? Christ who strengthened me. Well, look at verse 12. Uh, look at verse 12. I'm sorry. I know how to be a base and I know how to abound. And everywhere in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. Paul is saying Christ must be your power to do all the will of God at all times in all circumstances. Christ is our power to do all the will of God at all times in all circumstances. Why? Because his grace is sufficient. What a privilege that we have the responsibility. We have the commission. We have the great and high privilege to father the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what a privilege for you who are here this morning and you're not a Christian. What a privilege for you to be able to sit in a place like this and hear the gospel and not be threatened when you leave to get your neck cut off by people who hate people. Oh, it's a privilege to be born in America. If you're not a Christian this morning and you reject this message, shame on you. Because God doesn't have another answer for you. And if we're a Christian this morning, what a privilege. What a privilege and what a responsibility and what a joy in this dark and perverse generation we can shine as light. Oh, this is not bad news for the saints. When it's dark, God's church shines the brightest. Oh, saints, in the darkness of the land, shine, Jesus shine. Why? Because the world needs to see the Lamb who is worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, we give thanks this morning for so great salvation, for your loving kindness to us, have redeemed us by your blood, brought us into fellowship with your son, entrusted us with this sacred message, the gospel of the glory of God. Pray for the one bowed in your presence that you open their hearts as you open Lydia's heart. May they see their need, receive your son, 
and we who have received him, stir us that we might be stirred and intelligently serve you in the very details of our lives. Hear us for this, I ask, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.